Yes. Welcome to. <laughs> I got the I got the yips on the second word. <laughs> Welcome to Top Tube, a cycling podcast reveling in the joy of amateur riding, with a musette full of opinion on the pro peloton. With me, as ever, this week are the D minus to my Lawrence Diplus, David Quainton. Oh, thank you. Hi. And the block party to my block house, Mr. Stephen Bowley. Oh. Steve. Thank you. Um, gents, how are we? What have we, uh, what have we been up to this week? Well, Stephen's learned to be street <laughs> from about 1992. He is so street. I've been musing on whether it's possible in, to have broadcasting yips in the manner of putting yips in golf. Are you, talk, are you referring to Graham's million attempts to get kick the podcast yes, off last week? This is very yes. much in response to... to uh, we've had a lot of letters about this from last week, Um just can you please start good enough (laughs) good enough is not good enough it's important to get these things right start as you mean to go on so on that note well this week i have learned two things and i think they're worth sharing with you tell us both of them i will tell you both of those things starting with do you know the origin of the phrase to bonk and i refer specifically to cycling top bonk top bonk uh is it is it kenny van vlaming no (laughs) what as in bonking as in hitting the As in wall. running out of energy on your bike. Yeah. I mean, you've bonked. Yes. So, <laughs> I mean, anyway, I, I was interested in, in where it... The origin is from no, about 1952 in an article in the Daily Mail, apparently. And it literally means to bonk, as in the sound you would make when you hit the wall. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, but it's not that long ago. It's only from the 50s. I thought it would be older. Well, actually, uh, we're going to be talking about um, other words which seem to have been around a long time and in actual fact haven't. Uh, more on that later. All right, nice little teaser there, Stephen. Thank you. What was the second <laughs> thing, David? I'm mystified. <laughs> <laughs> um, second thing is, uh, so what is the highest mountain road in Europe? Hang on, the highest or the tallest? Uh, the highest, uh, the tallest, uh, would, prob- uh, would probably be the same one, I think, in Europe. There aren't that many. What is the highest road? Yes. Is the one that goes over the, the bonnet? No. no, it's not. Well, first of all, we as we know from episode two, <laughs> oh, um, which, which I wasn't paying attention, <laughs> <laughs> and indeed one, um, that the Col d'Isolan no. is is high. I'm not saying that's the highest. Oh, David, okay. I'm simply saying it's high. You're just, just simply pointing out one of the highest. Yes, yes. Well, know, first of all, the scene the highest is, and do you know where it is? It's in Spain. Yes, which mountain range? Sierra Nevada. It is. Yes, there you go. And which one is it? It's with V. Does. Keep going. I don't know anymore. I just I've forgotten it. I've ridden it though. I was nineteen and was there with uh, a cycling club I was at the time, and I didn't really know where I was, what I was doing. All I knew was that I was beating everyone else, and then I crashed over some guardrails on the way down because it was very misty. Did you go all the way to the top? So it goes up to three thousand. It's the Pico di Valletta. Yes, Valletta. Yes, yeah. that's the one. Yes. Um, is uh, did you go? Did you make all the way to the top? Because it goes. The road becomes a bit rough and I not honestly, great. Honestly, can't. Uh, and it goes up to three thousand three hundred meters. Um, I just uh, we just featured it today on our Instagram page. So you can oh, check so it out you there. pay attention to your own Instagram yeah. page. Well, no, I. That's why I put it on there. Right. Excellent. So um, we, are, we are going to plug our Instagram page every week. I think course. that's important. David, yeah. what's the handle? At TopTube Podcast. At TopTube Podcast. On some Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And give uh, us a follow. Come and get involved. As many people have been. Thank you very much for everyone that is. But yes, uh, the Pico di Valletta, I think we should go there. I think we should go there in like September uh, for the uh, Vuelta. I'm in. Um, so for the what? For the Vuelta. The Vuelta. 
Why do you keep saying that? The Vuelta. We should go there for <laughs> that race. Wrong with you? We should go there for the third Grand Tour. Good, we got through the first five minutes without picking up anybody on their pronunciation. <laughs> um, Stephen, what have you been doing this week? Um, well, that's a very good question. Um, I went for a morning walk and while walking I talked with some strangers in order to improve, <laughs> improve my Italian. <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. Have Good. you just looked probably, up probably, probably witty just, banter on your phone? Probably, just leave, that, probably just leave that one there. <laughs> David, ask me what I've been doing this week. What have you been doing this week, Graham? I have been house hunting. <laughs> Did you take your musket? Uh, no, I didn't. No hunting jokes okay. uh, apply to my house hunting. I've been looking for a new place to live, um, yeah. which will hopefully be close to Richmond Park, and I've been doing some more slow running, which arguably walking, but Is that it's, so it's, getting, it's just... getting faster. It's because you just like living with a burden of guilt in the mornings when you're like, shall I go to the park? I live, I, this is why I moved here. And then you're, and you're like... I yeah, think I think proximity to the park will encourage okay. all sorts of outdoor activity. Do you think you'll end up going past the uh, Tesco um, confectionery aisle on the way? Uh, never knowingly turned that, that little... Oh, wait, there's an ice cream van <laughs> at Richmond Gate as well, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, any options for snacks, as and well we know, I'll be, I'll be signing up for. Bit of news then, chaps. Bit of news. What have we been watching? Unfortunately, other than racing, been watching some stories about bad things. Should we start with the bad things? Should we start with the, the doping? Finish on a high. So to speak, well, we'll start, start on a high, yeah. Um, so, blood doping. The uh, Austrian Nordic skier Max Hawker seems to have kicked off quite the uh, quite the run of uh, well extraordinary confessions. Uh, well, obviously we've had uh, two cyclists, uh, Austrian cyclists, implicated as well. Uh, so that's that's George Pedler. Uh, Predler. Predler. Sorry, I can't read my own writing. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, for goodness sake! Better if he was named Pre- George Pedler. <laughs> George, George Priedler, yes. Yeah. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, and St- Stefan Denifil. Denifil. Uh, the interesting thing about Priedler is he was a, a domestique for Thibaut Pinot, mm. so um, actually would have had a job to play this year. Uh, Pinot reacted by saying that he feels like he's lost a friend. He cried when he heard the news. Um, it's created a bit of a reaction in the peloton, really. Um, so Marcel Kittel wrote uh, on his blog that young riders should get more help to, so that they don't turn down this route. And the, so they don't <laughs> take a turning down this turn, route, yeah, yeah, as opposed to turn um, down this route, which we actively want them to do. Um, and, <laughs> indeed. Uh, and that there is an issue with former dopers holding management positions on teams, which is odd, given his current sprint coach is... Is it Chippo? Yes. <laughs> we might as well be. It's the other one. Well, it's obviously Zarbo, but uh, the point is, I made when you, when you mentioned that earlier was that obviously, for uh, if you're going to hire any coaching staff and you are looking for anyone who was involved in cycling pre about 2009, then obviously you're not going to find anyone who doesn't have some um, connection to doping in in some way. Well, this is what Brailsford said about um, Gert. Linus, wasn't it? Gert Lenders, Gert Linus. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm not sure it washes, to be honest. I don't I don't agree with that. Like, it can't be hard to find someone. Well, uh, well, that's, that, well that's that, why Brasford went out of, uh, so looked outside cycling, and who did he bring in as a doctor? Well, first of all, Which it is that hard, because doping, it was completely endemic, so it is that hard, because 
if you if you weren't directly doing it yourself, you certainly knew someone who was. But as as Graham is about to allude to, Doctor Richard Freeman, or are you not? Oh no, that's exactly who I was about to allude yeah. to. So he was obviously at, or not obviously, but he was at Bolton Wanderers previously, um, so where whilst whilst Sam Allardyce was manager, yeah. um, and and in a period where Allardyce became fa- or Bolton became famous for turning round the careers of. Um, players who were who were deep into their thirties and seemingly well past it mm. went to Bolton and and had this miraculous rejuvenation. Yeah. So, so we need to be a little bit careful here. But what if I may ask you, that what's the difference between football and athletics and tennis and rugby union and on the other hand cycling? Performance enhancing drug use is prolific across all of those sports. Yes, well, I was going to make the so specific no point that there is a big difference in as much as the UCI is the only. In my opinion, and this is just my opinion, governing body that has been doing anything demonstrable to actually catch its cheat. Because with this age-old problem of a governing body being there to promote the sport, but having a huge conflict of interest in terms of they're also there to catch their cheat. You know, I've always said that it's not the individuals who are at fault, it's the fault of the governing bodies who just won't separate those two things. And cycling always gets a bad rap because it actually does something to catch its cheats. And now all this stuff will come out and, you know, people will say, oh, it's the same old story. And yet everyone else, again, in my opinion, will just, every other sport will just bury it. Um, I will say this, that the reaction amongst the peloton over the last 24 hours has been different to what it was back in the late 90s. And people aren't just shutting up. It's dealt with in a slightly different way. So whereas nothing was said before, now uh, the PR reaction is is pretty swift. Yeah. But yeah, that's fair. Is there is there a meaning behind it? Is 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 there is there genuine feeling behind it? I mean, I think you know Kittle's obviously written his own blog, and he obviously does feel very passionate. Why does Kittle Why does he feel so passionately about it? Um, it's a good question. Tell me. Well, I mean, I think it's because. His hometown of Erfurt and his region of Thuringen in Germany, where it's essentially become the centre of international doping ring. Uh, And this guy, this doctor at the centre of it, Dr. Schmidt, essentially became an official point of contact uh, for many up-and-coming athletes who were examined and treated there and now are obviously in a bad light in Kittel's point is that you know they might have done nothing wrong but how do we know uh Kittel certainly someone who's also been put under scrutiny in the past well actually speaking of which Graham you interviewed Kittel a couple of times um the first time I interviewed him it was the uh the giant Alperson team launch in Berlin what's he like nice guy uh he was that day he was a rock star so they'd they'd made a well we know we know about the hair well I asked him about doping and partly partly because um it was the first time in nine, I think it was nine years that a German TV station, um, free to air TV station, was actually going to broadcast the tour, right. um, and it it stopped doing so in Germany because of the lack of because the trust had evaporated. Yep. Right, so this was a, a kind of signpost to say, look, we've got the we've we've got to a point in cycling where we feel like we can believe in our cyclists again. So it was it was it was around that it was it was around um it was around clean cycling um and kittle basically said look um we've all got a responsibility to to talk about this stuff we can't shut it out um so to quote him verbatim he said 
we should all be aware that we have to handle especially the talk or the discussion about doping always with the awareness that we are responsible for the future of the sport and in that case also the people who are responsible for their actions in the past. They should also react credibly when there are questions coming so it's not an option to say no I refuse to answer any questions about this. I believe it is important to say what you think and also and also to use that position that I have now to speak about things that maybe go wrong or where you sometimes need a discussion it would be wrong not to do it and fair play to him because four years later yeah. more slightly more than four years later he's, he's actually followed through on that and been the most high profile person yeah. to come out and and discuss uh I mean, he's been on his social media into that by the fact the proximity geographically and in terms of his own history but you know that doesn't mean anything other than the fact is he didn't have to say that he could have shut up yeah shut. I, I don't think he's been forced so, into so, it there's, yeah. there's a he should be he should be commended for coming out at all i've seen enough of you know his sort of what goes on around his team he is a huge star um but I also get the impression from from seeing him on TV and, and the way he is with people that he's been brought up, much in the way Andre Greipel actually has, in a very uh, well-supported, loving family, and he's been taught respect and, and really solid values. Um, and I think that comes across. And so, yes, it is a matter of opinion, but I also do think that he probably is is on the level. So, you know, but ultimately... It's that question of who can we who can we really trust? Uh, for me, at least, I believe the UCI is trying to do something about it, and that's all you can ask at this point. It's imp- it's probably important to say as well. Actually, Kittle's star power at that particular point was was pretty much as high as yeah, as, yeah, as, as ever. Whereas now he's probably a few rungs down, having mm-hmm. had a couple of by certainly by his standards, um, not as impressive seasons. No, he's not going to have to finish hard races. One, one more point that you raised there actually about German TV abandoning cycling after, I think it was after Jan Ulrich retired in disgrace. It's, it's, it, so it was German public broadcaster ARD were, was going to in 2015 or did in 2015 show live coverage of the tour for the first time since 2011. So it was, there was a, a four year gap basically. Well it goes to show that there is that willingness on the part of uh, sort of institutions to actually stand up and say no we're not going to tolerate this just as the government in France has done and lots of French um, institutions and you know in part that goes to show that explains their lack of success they haven't won the Tour de France since 1985. However, the fact that that's one of the only countries in the world which actually makes doping or sporting fraud a criminal offence really goes to show, um, you know, they're leading the world. And I think Germany is true is too, uh, showing that moral responsibility and, you know, an old good old fashioned backbone that we're not seeing in t- many areas in, in either sport or politics around the world at the moment. And frankly, all those people who are doing that, I wholeheartedly applaud them. Um, shall we talk about some racing mm, please yeah let's start with the OAE Tour the biggest the first kind of big race of the year we mentioned it last week um, won by who wants to say his name first Primoz Roglic what a joy he's great though isn't he I'm a big fan um, particularly for the last stage so Roglic not only won it overall comfortably mm. um, with a 30 second margin uh, he also the the joy of the slow motion sprint the yeah. uh, the, 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 the sprint up up a mountain. Um, it looked for all the world like Tom Dumoulin had timed it right. Uh, and w- with about three yards left to go, it seemed, um, Roglic overtook him. 
um, to take the stage win. Dumoulin number two on the stage. Um, but I, as you say, David, a star-packed GC, um, which which is uh, it, it bodes well, I think, for for an exciting season. Um, as ever, talking of, of of old riders, who was who was second on GC? Uh, the 426-year-old Alejandro. He's actually just had a Valverde. birthday. It's 427. 427 <laughs> as, of, as of last week. Happy birthday, Alejandro. I'm just the only person older than David Revelin still riding a bike. No. Uh, the other interesting thing from that race, obviously, was we've spoken and, uh, Graham, you made the bold prediction that uh, Viviani would be the fastest sprinter this year. At, in the four sprints that happened across the course of the OE Tour, um, four different sprinters won. What do we think this says? That it's going to be closer than we expected? is, Or or do we still expect Viviani and maybe Grunewagen to... Well, I'm going to hold my hands up. Uh, I'm partisan. What, what, what was Cavendish doing? Uh, Mark Cavendish didn't contest any sprint uh, in a fashion that you could call contesting a sprint and didn't have a top 10 finish. But on the final stage, he was following... Oh, he still doesn't have the legs. No, he was Not yet. on the final stage, he was following back. Viviani until a few hundred metres out and then couldn't continue following him as it looked. Who knows? Um, he hasn't said anything about it. However, uh, all is not lost. It's still really early in the season. He just doesn't have the races in his legs yet, but I still um, am convinced that, as Cavendish has said in recent interviews, you just don't lose that talent. As as, as he's also made the point quite forcefully, it's only been the end of 2016. He was, you know, the should have won the World Championship and was sort of lost out to Sagan, not for speed, just but for uh, sort of tactical reasons. So in a couple of years, I don't believe any more than I'm sure Cavendish does that he will lose, just loses that ability. And I still believe genuinely that he'll win at least one stage in this season's tour. Cool. Let's uh, let's all hope that happens. I know we're all fans around this table um, of the work of Mark Cavendish. Uh, So then we've got, very excitingly, the first classic of the season, Omloop, won by Stephen. Not won by Stephen. He wasn't taken by in it. But who won it, Stephen? Yes, what a, what a shame. I could be there to, <laughs> to, to, to trounce all comers. Um, yes, it was won by uh, Stieber. Yeah, I didn't want to say it because I'd get it wrong and then you'd have to correct me. Well, I think I said Stieber last week. Thanks, right? Thankfully, well done. <laughs> Recognising your limitations. Uh, Stieber, or was it won by Stieber or was it won by de Koenig? Pose that philosophical question. Well, given the next day, it was Kern and Brussels Kern and that was won by Bob Jungels. Even though I would argue that the strongest rider looked like it was Yves Lampere, but he couldn't chase down his own team member. Even though the team has changed quite a lot, they seem to be the I mean, strongest. They've classes. lost a few Sorry. strong riders, Gaviria, Nicky Terpstra. Don't need them. Season, but apparently still as strong as ever. But De Kerning, clean, uh, De Kerning cleaned up at the classics. Well, let me let me ask you this actually. What with having talked last week a bit about uh, Teddy Pod. Do you, want to, do you want to help me out here? Pogacar. Well, I don't want to suddenly be the one who pronounce Pogacar. things. Pogacar. Uh, as well as, uh, obviously, Ivanapol um, we've talked about. Um, and quite a few other up-and-comers. We seem to have lost sight somewhat of last season's big talking point, which who is Valt Van Ed. And that brings us on neatly, I feel, to this week's major race. The Strider Bianchi, yes. which we were talking about in part two. A couple more quick things. Uh, Adam Yates has confirmed his return to the Tour de France this year. Good news, exciting news. Do you think he's got a chance? Yeah, he's definitely going to win it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another <laughs> British rider. Yeah. Place your bets. Uh, uh, what is his best finish? It's fourth, isn't it? Was it fifth? No, I think it's fourth. 
so yeah, you had a very, very, very quiet season last season, but clearly the talent's still there. In some of their trainers and mentors, the Yates brothers, um, in years of in years gone past, have commented that when one of them does really well and seems to push the boundaries of achievement further out, the other will immediately respond. And 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 so for that reason, it's his year, basically. Well, yes, let's see. Uh, and the other thing is, our friend Phil Guyman um, has launched a US hill climb series. Which which ones? Well, is he going to do Pikes Peak? I think he's doing uh, Mount Washington. It's going to be involved. No in way. That. Yeah. Mount Washington. Yeah. Graham, what do you know about Mount Washington? It's named after the uh, American actor and Academy Award winner uh, Denzel. Oh, it yeah, is that's actually true. It's actually it's Mount, actually Mount Venus, Washington. It's named after the, the Wimbledon 1995 <laughs> finalist. Yeah, Washington. Yeah. I can tell you, it's actually the most murderous mountain on the face of the earth. It is the most dangerous. It has claimed the most lives of any mountain in the world. Not just not because of its height, but because of the changeability of its weather conditions um, and the fact that it also holds the world record for the highest ever recorded wind speed of 295 miles an hour. So sometimes really good for your Strava segments and other times... Well, I'm going to assume opposite. that the road up there does not go all the way up to the top and... No. and and if it is 295 miles an hour at the top, that they'll probably reschedule, much like they did at Mont Ventoux in 2016. So the US Hill Climb Series will involve Mount Washington, Mount Evans, uh, Top of Vermont, Mount Baker, and the Hill Climb World Championships. Uh, we'll see you in part two. <laughs> Welcome to part two. We're going to talk about the Strada Bianchi, which is possibly the best looking one day race of the year. Would we say that? Were you looking forward to a wet or a dry Strada Bianchi, Graham? There's only one, one answer to that, isn't there? It's, it's got to be raining. Okay, that's, so that's, what, that's what we want. You're Come one on. of those sadists who wants there to be a dirty, wet, stunningly dangerous Paris-Roubaix every year so that people fall down and break hips. If there's not half a dozen hip breaks, you're not satisfied, isn't that right? No. It doesn't. Yes, at least. <laughs> the, the great Armstrong quote, wasn't there? Whenever uh, he's on the start line and it's falling down with rain, he'd basically turn to his nearest team teammate and go, hey, look behind you. Look at these guys. Half of these guys just quit the race. But it's for the the rain is for the real kind of the hard men of the sports come there's, out, and that's that's why that's why you want to see it. I'm going to suggest the, the, um, it's gladiatorial. It, it adds to that gladiatorial aspect well, of it. Would you characterise Roman Bardet as one of the hard men of the sport? Because it's clearly a Roman last, gladiatorial. Last... Yes, I would. He's <laughs> <laughs> got you there. Well, actually, he's Romanian. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, on last year's evidence, then Roman Bardet. Actually, a very surprising performance. Only more the only more surprising performance of that of Val Vanet, who put out 363 watts for five hours to come third, and famously uh, was so exhausted at the top of the final climb in the, into the Piazza del Campo that he fell off his bike and then. It was quite remarkable to watch, wasn't it? It's uh, Strada Bianchi has very quickly become, I think, everyone's you know second favorite or even favorite uh, classic. Uh, it's not been going that long, is it, Stephen? Uh, well, actually, it was. It's been going for a while under the name El Heroica, and was rebadged uh, in two thousand and seven. It's gone. Uh, it's become haute category, but it was always um, an important race in terms of the pure prestige of it. It's not a new race. It's just been renamed and as anyway. 
point being, because of its beauty, and and I and I am one of those people who think that you know whether dry or wet, you know I love to see the chalk being thrown up in the dry, um, in in the sun, and I I don't think <laughs> I'm just going to press on with my words originals <laughs> in my jacket pocket. That is what you can any race can be muddy, but only only uh, Strada Bianchi can can have that kind of aesthetic and and I want that to bring out the, the real beauty of that Tuscan landscape however uh for me whether it's wet or dry the sa- the cream always rises to the crop and you're always going mm, to have to say the cream to the crops famous for that the cream always <laughs> rises to the crop um no you tit it's the top <laughs> whether it rises to the crop or the top it's going to be it's going to be the same name it's going to be Kriatkowski it's going to be Sagan um, Van Avermaet, Nibbly. Perhaps he's going to have a crack at it this year, as is as is Thomas. But um, yeah, it's a hard man's race, but it's a it's a great race. And the reason it's brilliant is because it always throws up a really exciting race. I referred to 2016 when Gian- Gianluca Brambilla was was in a one man break for for forever, <laughs> many yeah. a kilometre. It was only just overhauled out of sheer exhaustion at the top of the final climb and put up very little defence mm. once he was overhauled, only for Cancellara then to, to take the, take his third win. Um, because of that, everyone looks forward to that last climb, but also, you know, the whole day with everyone dealing with the, the gravel and, and, and it's very attritional race. It's just a fantastic race. And the question has been asked, why doesn't it become the sixth monument? Now, What are the other five currently? Well, the, the five monuments, well, quickly, obviously, Milan, San Remo, Tour of Flanders, Paris-Roubaix, um, Liège-Bastogne-Liège, La Doyenne, the oldest classic, and then in the autumn... Il Lombardia, David's just shown me the Wikipedia page for Il Lombardia, as if I needed to be told. <laughs> Graham, you, you know you did the a sporting the sportive, in that yeah, region, yeah. yeah, finished with 15 minutes in right. the can as well. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Well, it must be nice massive. Be, massive well, unusual experience to finish a sportive, yeah. Yes, no, the race of the falling leaves, the Tour of Lombardy, now, now Il Lombardia. However... The word monument is actually quite, it suggests from its from its uh, tone that it's actually quite an old word, but it's only come into use in the last sort of five to ten years. Whereas when in the late 90s, when I started getting into cycling, the main one-day races were characterised by being part of the World Cup, as it was then. So in that respect, uh, who, who, which of you remembers the Hugh Side Classics race or the GP Zurich? I hope that silence indicates that's, that's, uh, <laughs> no recognition you, You'd do better asking Nairo Quintana about Indeed, that. Indeed, uh, and, and yet those races had the same status in terms of points, at least, as, as the Tour of Flanders, and that's that's very much not continued to be the case. So um, some people are, will push for the Strada Bianchi to become the sixth monument. Um, and why? what is the main reason, chaps, that that's uh, the main counterpoint to that? Uh, I know one of them. Yes. Uh, it's very short. Yes. It's only 184 kilometres long, which for a monument is uh, short. Although, given how exhausted everyone is at the end, perhaps the reverse should be true in that it's, it, you, that races don't have to be that long because if, if Strada Bianchi proves one thing, it's that a short race can still be very exhausting and, and provide exciting... So you're music. suggesting that we should reduce Milan St. Mary from 295 down to something no, less um, Herculean? because that is a sprinter's race and it requires... It, it's not as hard a course. So well, it's longer. that's one argument. Uh, so I'd, I'd venture another. 
Go for it. Well, cycling is a, a traditional sport and hangs on to its traditions like few others. Oh, he's nailed it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and that, in short, it hasn't been around long enough and you cannot have an instant classic. Well, and also because, and I thought he was going to get this, there's only a handful of riders who've won all five monuments. Point being, if there are now sixth monuments, it's a bit like introducing a fifth Grand Slam. Roger Federer, who's won, what, not 20 now, is, is suddenly that's going to be invalidated um, because, you know, now there's five opportunities to win a Grand Slam as opposed to four. So that's yeah. a, a strong argument against it. Either way, it's a fantastic race and it's one that signals for many people if Het Newsblatt doesn't that the, nowadays the season has really begun and uh, I encourage everyone to watch it and for those people who haven't watched it before or, or haven't got into cycling uh, races very much before it's a brilliant one to start with genuinely you'll really enjoy it so everyone outside the day. I think yeah and in, in, in short the reason uh, it is so popular certainly around this table is because is because we're expecting fireworks right we're talking uh, gravel sectors we're talking dirt roads um, and, and we're talking some of the uh, the biggest and best one day riders um, in the peloton so we, we mentioned a few there a couple more um, worth mentioning um, Garrett Thomas do we do we back him I'd be brilliant Cheers. to see if he won. I don't think he's going to have the condition. <laughs> That's very exciting. It's going to be ace, wouldn't it? But he's not going to have... He's not going to win. As everyone knows, he's, he's not going to win. A substantial amount of time to celebrate his tour victory <laughs> last year, and I'm not sure what his condition is, but he has to start back somehow. So let's see. Um, and Julian Alaphilippe. I don't think we mentioned him either, and I, well, I would I mean, expect obviously... I would expect him, a, a real kind of spirit of, of adventure rider, I would expect him to be up there... It was from Dekernic, so uh, Lampere will be there, I presume. Yep, yeah. uh, Stibar, uh, Seri, uh, Vakoc, uh, and Devonins, and Capecci. And of course, at least, three uh, of the, at least three of those have got a chance of winning it. What, Stibar's Bardet won it doing before. it again? He said last year he'd like to come back. Bardet is not currently not. among the starters, they, although the they've, yet not yet been, they've not Bardet, yet been confirmed. Bardet, for me, redefined. Confirmed what it takes to do well in that race last year no one expected that and everyone gave the plaudits to Van Aert and rightly so but Bardet's race out there with Van Aert's for a long time as a duo um, he's not the type of big powerful rider you expect to sort of mm. hold that source of effort and to stay right up there and come second was an astonishing performance and it kind of redefined for me what Bardet is capable of and it won him a lot of new fans does it mean that, do, do you think it'll attract because Mollimer's uh, uh, Riding it this year as well. I mean, he's. It's Mollimer, not. Is it? I'm gonna. I'm gonna. No, with apologies to Balka, he's a bit of a spent force. He's a. He was a good uh, GC rider in tours, but I don't know. He's getting on a bit these days. I'd be very surprised if he didn't. Uh, Son Anderson and Sam Uman at uh, Sunweb. Good chance for either of those. You think? Uh, Craig Anderson's another up and comer, isn't he? 24? Yeah, yeah. It's a flat no from me. I think it takes a little bit more experience to be able to. Uh, Someone who's just having one of his first major road races and has come from cyclocross probably has no chance of it, do they? I think the cyclocross will give him a chance, but he's not going to be—he's not going to be anywhere near the top ten. So the person socks. What what are we having a sock bet about? Whether Soren Craig Anderson comes in the top ten? (laughs) No, I'm not having a sock bet. (laughs) I mean, made of socks. Uh, Jenny Moscon. You seem to be bigging him up. Uh, Moscon, so he's the other Sky Rider named, is he? Yeah. There's, there's just the two of them. Mm. Um, uh, well, 
yeah, he's, he's probably got as good a chance as G. Maybe. Is he going to be their main man for the day? Well, one of the two is, you'd one, imagine, one right? Well, it's not, well, it's not, I, I suspect it's not going to be Thomas. So, uh, so okay then, let's uh, cards on the table. You know, and we've been doing some race predictions on our Twitter channel, and we'll do it for this one too. Uh, who do you think, if you had to put your money down, who, who's going to win? Why Stephen? haven't we mentioned Sagan? Is it because he's, he's always the there and there about? He's not on the start list. He's not encouraging. He w- less Sagan is likely to be at there. the he time of going to right. podcast press. Sagan is not on the start list. Is, he's but always there or thereabouts as he is in every race. But for example, in 2016, when he came closest to winning, he was he just didn't have the legs on the final climb. Do we think he's too? This the profile of this race means it's actually easier to mark him. Well, I think it's because, again, he's forced to do so much of the work, but by the yeah. time he comes down to finale, he's just and, and it's, earned and his match. Even though it's short, it, it's so hard to do all of the work in uh, on that that terrain. Well, that it's it's that incredibly open. I mean, obviously, we, it could be Benute again last week's last last uh, year's winner. So it's really open. Could be Kriot Kossi again. Who knows? If you had £10, if you had £10, Stephen, what would you, uh, which rider would you put on? I, I would put money on just really, really enjoying the race. Okay. Who's going to win it? Though? I'll play. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have a think about it, Stephen. Go ahead. For me, I, I mean, there are so many to choose, but Van Avermaet, um, I think will feature, I think Nibali will feature, and I think Alaphilippe. Um, but if I had to, if I had to bat one gun to my head, uh, Alaphilippe. Just, just well, for for two reasons: De Kerning's, um dominance already this early in the season, uh, and I, I just think he's he's got the appetite for it. Well, I'm going to say Steve Arlen just because he's got the form. Yeah, no, I I would have said Anna Philippe. So to oh, a consensus, up, yeah, I'm going to say Jenny Moscow. Okay, we'll be back very shortly. <laughs> Part three, we're going to chat about kit. How exciting. I wear kit when I'm riding a bike. Let's talk about kit. Playing kit. It was my favourite car in the Knight Rider television Excellent. series. What's your favourite kit, Stephen? Cat. Kit Simons is my favourite kit. Yeah, that's City Defender yeah. and Wales. Yeah, Good. Stephen, what have you been wearing this week? And try not to make it weird. <laughs> have you been wearing, as you always do when riding a bike these days, as far as I'm concerned, a tie done all the way up to your neck? tightly as possible to make you breathing yes actually because it's it's become very um utilitarian because i can wear it at work and on the way home and then you know experimenting with sleeping in it as well how's it working out for you people have not too commented on the smell uh, (laughs) other than that it's perfect cycling kit doesn't smell good after no no the opposite in fact when we rode to barcelona which we talked about before on on this podcast uh, from london from london importantly um, about three days in wearing the same kit how long did that take you Uh, nine nine days days. i was i was chuck so i i packed eight t-shirts i think and i was and i was was, was t-shirts correct they they were yeah (laughs) did you not know that when sweat so i was wearing i was wearing bib shorts right but you weren't aware that obviously when uh, you sweat, it just hangs in cottings. It's not wicked, it's, and it, it freezes. We, we and you just, so I was just chucking hiking. t-shirts away at the end of every day yeah. to lighten my load. You guys were like those guys you see on New Year's Eve who go out wearing heavy flannel tracksuit bottoms and a hoodie. I've, I've never been more disappointed than after the end of the third day when we, so we were allowed one beer a day and David mm-hmm. mistakenly ordered 
four dark really beer, the dark, darkest the of dark beers. And they, were, they were horrible. But because we, we weren't exactly made of money at that point yeah. either, so we felt obliged to drink them. And I was, I was, I was quite upset with David for... The most notable bit about how our kit was disintegrating on the way out, I think, and our general smell and hygiene was uh, my cousin who was riding with us at the time went into a supermarket and apparently the uh, person serving him uh, visibly flinched <laughs> when he stepped out because he smelled that bad. I want to know about whether or not you're going to buy this Bianchi. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about kit. I, uh, so what Graham's referring to is I, have, I need a new bike and I really want a... Uh, um, Bianchi. My, I remember seeing my first Bianchi, which was uh, Stephen rocked up at my house with uh, this just incredible looking machine. And uh... whether or not you buy one, do you have the right to ride one with hairy legs? Steve, does he? Well, you've anticipated my obvious uh, retort. retort there, which is no, of fucking course you don't. You can't ride a. It depends. If you're going to ride What's a crap, the sad thing? if you're going to ride a crap Bianchi, fine. Do what you look as shit as you like. But look, if you're going to Bianchi, is a brand that is built on heritage and tradition. So you cannot ride a really expensive Bianchi, which looks great with hairy legs. Why not? The sad thing is here that you two could both look like gods of the road if you put in a little bit of training, Graham, and even a bit of thought. Yeah, I. You know fine well I look like I, I I might be carrying a little bit of timber for your for your average cyclist, but that you, you cannot question the kit that I wear. The the kit that I wear is primo shit. Well, I mean, look, I mean, I think we're, we're talking about this on the podcast because if both of you kind of persist with this kind of willful aesthetic refusal, because ultimately neither of you have spent weeks and weeks in and weeks out riding in a grassroots club chain ring and you would get an absolute hammering if you turned up with mismatching kit every week and hairy legs so the fact that you persist with 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 this sort of attitude Mis- Mis- sorry mis- mismatching right black shorts go with everything i am always in black shorts i'm always in almost always in a we've very talked, tasteful we've, we've navy blue shorts, jersey shorts do not and i'm always with matching socks plain black shorts always with the matching socks not just the socks that match but they match the rest of the kit and to be fair i'm always wearing whatever kit Graham's given me essentially only once have I ever been out with you David when you've actually had any matching kit and to be fair you look great because it also matched your bike and it somehow managed to bring together your orange frame and your red it's handlebar red tape was it it's a red frame it's, it's, it's actually an orange frame oh we will stick photos of this on Instagram and you can judge for yourself but um so you're saying no, I can't be a serious cyclist if I uh, have hairy legs is that what you're saying well, Vex question. Uh, I think uh, not. Um, What's your problem with my kit? Well, look, bl- black shorts on their own. They're not. They're, we'll post some pictures of all the all the best stylists in in cycling have some th- a, a, a aesthetic touch on their plain black shorts. And frankly, just not true. Simply not true. Well, we're going to post some pictures online, and we're going to ask you to. Uh, we're going to ask you to judge for yourself. But I asked Graham, look, Graham has said he will not, is this right, Graham? He will not ever shave your legs, is that right? Fact. Fact. Um, and I said, I, he's accused me of it being something shameful. And I said, well, why don't you? I dare you, in you fact. You should be shamed by it. Yeah, I dare you to ask a pro that question. I, I thought that was a pro that question. It turns out he <laughs> has asked a pro that question, Graham. Well, I asked Miller that question. You asked David Miller that question, and he said? He said he was shamed by it. I, I actually asked him, 
to be fair, I asked him what is the most embarrassing thing that he has done as a professional cyclist, yeah. and he said, "I would have thought unquote, it would have been um, shaving my legs. I'm shamed by it. Right? Okay. I too would be shamed by it. So, so what you're saying is David Miller, a top professional cyclist, is shamed by shaving. Wearer of the yellow jersey, no less. World champion. Well, I mean, so, my, so, so okay. sure, would you would you say that it's okay for David Miller to ride a Bianchi? No, because in that in that interview, <laughs> in that interview that Graham speaks of, uh, David Miller was in fact pictured riding a bike with jeans on, which I think says it all. There are a few reasons given, aren't there, for not uh, for shaving your legs and not leaving them hairy? Are they are any of them valid? No, I mean, ultimately, I think I'm just going to evidence this. People put forth, oh well, it's uh, easier to have massages, which is true. To be fair, uh, it's easier to clean a wound, um, and so and so. Ultimately, it's just you look and feel like a cyclist, and I defy anyone to go pro and actually not shave the legs unless I know I can anticipate David's uh, re- re- um, counterpoint here unless you are Peter Sagan and then only you then do what you like <laughs> well because he actually didn't did he? he he actually didn't shave his legs and then Stephen Roche winner of the uh, Tour Giro and World Championships in one season 1987 came out and said that that was Shame, uh, disrespectful. Disrespectful. So you know, lots of opinions from Roche. How can you? How can it be disrespectful to choose not to shave your legs? It's not disrespectful. Is it? It's not disrespectful. I think it's disrespectful ultimately to yourself to not shave your legs. You're embarrassing yourself by shaving think, your legs. I think you need to rock up on a race day with your own ten pack of uh, disposable razors and make yourself you know bleed all over. Yeah, well, that's how, how that's any on, more respectful than the, the edge legs. of your I mean, car just, boot just for 10 so minutes you know before you're you a real, real cyclist when you're taking rusty razors to your legs. <laughs> with, no, with no gel. Um, yes, ultimately, um, look, I, actually those comments from David Miller slightly irked me in as much as he obviously has got a lot out of cycling. And, and it's for me, just for me, it's a core kind of precept of, of it's part of the heritage of the sport and and to sort of criticize that seems you know poor to me but you know other people have have their uh have their uh, opinions but all we can say for sure is that no one should ride a bike wearing jeans <laughs> i think fair we can, enough i think I, we, I we'll all agree with I that i think we can all agree that. on that all right so well it's supposed to be running out of out of so words words <laughs> <laughs> right so appears to be running out of time now we were going to talk about uh some of the issues surrounding the libel laws um should we do that next week chaps we want to give it its due i think we should i think um to quote lance armstrong actually extraordinary accusations demand extraordinary proof and if we're going to go anywhere near that um as we discussed with marcel kittle earlier uh you need to be very careful about it. So we will, um, we will return. Yeah, we want to. We want to give it its due. It's something close to my heart. So I, I think you know. Let's 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 think about that properly and 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 uh, discuss fully next week. You always know when it's the end of the recording session when you can hear uh, someone hoovering mm. in the background. That's that's probably, that's a the size, probably time to yeah, leave. Yeah, I would say. Well, yeah. better that than uh, heavy lorries going by as if you're stand you're recording in the oh, middle that would of a roundabout. I would never allow that to happen. No, no, neither would you. No. Uh, well, on, on that note, thank, thank you for joining us. It's goodbye from him. It's goodbye from him. And it's salut from me. Mm.